Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Murder down the rabbit hole. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. college, every guy I ever knew had either a Scarface poster or a Donnie Darko poster in their room. And okay, this can be very brave of me to say, I was not a huge fan of Donnie Darko. Were you? Th- those aren't really my kind of movies, although uh-huh. I have seen it a couple of times. So I found it very interesting and mm-hmm. like compelling, but I'm not someone who really likes extremely strange movies especially at the time it'd be like oh because it was like uh, 2002 2001 ish where it's something like oh i really connect to like really freaky stuff yeah but i do remember watching it a couple times and it's been a long time i remember being like really intrigued with it but Mm -hmm. not the we like the weirdness of it wasn't it but it was just kind of like trying to figure it i think because i was like trying to figure it out that's what I like. I love like a mystery. I love trying to figure things out. I remember the website being kind of a mystery in its own right. It was like a promo site for for Donnie Darko. And it was it was like trying to go to different parts of the website. It was almost like a video game. I thought that was so fun and cool. But then I would watch the movie and I'd be like, this is just kind of an abstract. And I love like art films and weird shit. But I feel like Donnie Darko specifically was trying to be more than it really was. And it was, you know, like very macabre and whatever. But the thing about that movie is it was inspired by this real character. And we haven't talked a lot about Virginia. Virginia has a lot of crazy stuff in it. Um, but there's this overpass in Virginia called the Colchester Overpass, and it's over a southern railway in Clifton, Virginia. And there is an urban legend that started there in the 70s and spread throughout the Washington, D.C. area lots of variations, and it is about a man who wears a rabbit costume a la Donnie Darko who attacks people with an axe or a hatchet, and it is known as the Bunny Man, and he lives on the Bunny Man Bridge. <laughs> That's very, like, if I knew that, I think watching the movie Yeah, that's way cooler than the movie, right? Yeah. I mean, it's There's also no time feels travel, like... Because time travel is a, a huge part of Donnie Darko, That's right? true. Poor time travel. Right. The best time travel movie is, is Primer, which is also the one that I can't really wrap it. I hear Looper is good, too. Yeah, Looper is good. I don't know. Anyway, um, so the Bunny Man Bridge is this... I was looking at pictures of it. It's really like a nondescript kind of like... You, you can light it like any overpass or any bridge. You can light it to be creepy. But it's really like not. It's kind of green. It's a really short overpass, maybe 50 feet. Um, but there's a lot of brush and area around for things to happen as they might happen. And it's this place that has become such a huge part of Virginia lore that people become obsessed with it. And I'm going to talk about that, too. Anyway, it was built. The Colchester Overpass was built in 1906 near the site of Sangster Station, a Civil War era railroad station on what was once the Orange and Alexandria Railroad. It's a popular destination for people who are thrill seekers, enthusiasts, teenagers, people who smoke cigarettes, people who wear 
punk t-shirts. They better People not be smoking jewels. Uh-oh, do not vape. Uh-oh, do not. It's illegal. You heard it here first. It's a death. You're signing your own death certificate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Jason Horton, cop. <laughs> exactly. So in 2003, local authorities began controlling the access to the area during Halloween because so many people were around it. In Halloween 2011, for example, just to show like the popularity increasing, over 200 people, some as far as Pennsylvania or Maryland, were turned away dur- during a 14-hour traffic checkpoint in the area. 90 trains use the overpass each week. It's still very busy, and along with being busy around this time of year, it is filled with people who want to hear about this legend. So here's the legend of the Bunny Man. It's circulated for years in many forms. A version naming a suspect in specific location was posted to a website in the late 1990s by a Timothy C. Forbes. This version states that in 1904, an asylum near Clifton, Virginia was shut down due to a petition by the growing population of residents in Fairfax County. During the transfer of inmates to a new facility, one of the 15 transports crashed. Most, including the driver, were killed, but 10 inmates escaped. A search party found all but one of them. You, lo- you gotta love like a good inmate, like culling the herd of inmates who are just running all over Virginia. During the time, locals allegedly began f- to find hundreds of cleanly skinned, half-eaten carcasses of rabbits hanging from trees in the nearby forest. Another search of the area was ordered, and the police located the remains of Marcus Walster, left in a similar fashion to the rabbit carcasses, hanging in a nearby tree or under a bridge overpass, the Bunny Man Bridge. Along the railroad tracks at Colchester Road, they found more evidence of his murder, clothes, etc. Officials named the last missing inmate to be Douglas J. Griffin as their suspect and called him the Bunny Man. In this version, officials finally managed to locate Griffin, but during their attempt to apprehend him in the overpass, he nearly escaped before being hit by an oncoming train where the original transport crashed. Supposedly, after the train passed, the police heard laughter. It was eventually revealed that Griffin had been institutionalized for killing his family on Easter Sunday. A lot of this stuff, the rabbit stuff, it's very apparent. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> yes. For years after the Bunny Man's death, in the time approaching Halloween, carcasses are said to be found hanging from the overpass and from trees in the surrounding area. A figure was reportedly seen by pedestrians making their way through the one-lane bridge tunnel. Again, it's a very small tunnel. It doesn't take a lot to traverse it. Um, according to a historian, historian archivist Brian A. Conley, this version is pretty false. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies. There have been never been an asylum in the Fairfax County area, and that uh, the prison didn't exist until 1910. More, moreover, the court records never show like a, gri- a Griffin or a Wallster, like anyone that might have been that guy. But the legend is real. The legend happened. There are still instances that kind of map on top of some of the general details. Brian A. Conley was extensively researching the Bunny Man legend. He, I checked him out on LinkedIn, very respectable, very into Virginia, Virginia history, went to George Mason University. He worked at the Fairfax County Archives and Library. He became obsessed with this urban legend. So here is an excerpt from his article, The Bunny Man Unmasked, Real Live or Origins of an Urban Legend. All right. He said, most childhood ghost stories are forgotten as one gets older. However, the Bunny Man followed me. After graduating from college, I accepted a position with the Fairfax County Public Library, eventually becoming an information specialist in the Virginia Room. One day around 1992, a very well-spoken young lady came into the Virginia Room with a question. She wanted to know how she could find information on a murder that was supposed to have taken place near her home. 
As I interviewed the patron to, ascer- to ascertain what hard facts she had to go on, some vague memory nagged at me. Two children were allegedly murdered by a local hermit for trespassing, and their bodies left hanging from a covered bridge. She had no names and only a vague idea of a time frame. The whole story seemed a little fantastic, but the thing that really bothered her was the guy was supposed to be an escaped inmate dressed in a bunny suit. At this point, even though the history had evolved a bit, I recognized this tale from my own youth. We were unable to confirm any of the elements of the story as she or I had first heard it, as I put it down in my mind, a story fabricated to scare children. I likely would have forgotten about the bunny man again if the questions didn't begin coming in on a regular basis. The bunny man had actually begun appearing in print in recent years, having been mentioned in several high school newspapers, and more recently on the internet. The various internet versions have carried the story to new heights. The most widely circulated written version, entitled The Clifton Bunny Man, and signed by Timothy C. Forbes from Virginia, was posted on a website called Castle of Spirits around 1999. This version of the tale is actually quite notable because of the number of specific facts given. Forbes claims that in 1904, inmates from an asylum that we mentioned before escaped while being transferred to Lorton Prison. One of the escapees, Douglas J. Griffin, murdered fellow escapee Marcus Walster and eventually became the bunny man. So there's another inconsistency, too, because it's like they all died but this one, but then Marcus became an inmate in the story. Not only is the location identified, but also the names of several victims and dates of their murders. The story ends with a challenge for the reader to check with the Clifton Town Library for verifications of the facts. Little effort was required to show that all the specifics given, given in Forbes' version are false. First, there's never an asylum in, uh, for the insane in Fairfax County. Second, Lorton Prison didn't come into existence until 1910, and even then it was the arm of the District of Columbia Correction System, not Virginia's. Third, neither Griffin nor Walster appeared in the court records of Fairfax County. Lastly, there has not and has never been a Clifton Town Library. You got him with the library. The story also received wide recognition after being featured on national television. It was on the scariest places of Earth, broadcast on the Fox Family Channel, including a segment entitled Terror on Bunny Man's Bridge, and in the 2001 broadcast season. Even though these fictional tales of spectacular crimes are easy to dismiss as fiction, the question of the story's origin is not, was the Bunny Man real? At first, I was content to dismiss the Bunny Man as a completely fictitious entity. However, I've learned that many legends do have some basis in factual events. At the urging of a fellow employee, I finally began a more serious search for the Bunny Man. I began with a few basic assumptions. First, although the tale is told in jurisdictions all around Washington, D.C., the bulk of them take place in Fairfax County. Second, any event that gains as much notoriety as this one must have been originally reported to the public. Third, the original event was probably criminal in nature. And he actually located two incidents of a man in a rabbit costume threatening people with an axe. So all of these things culminate in the legend of this guy. So in all real like indications, this urban legend is a real thing and has come from real things that we can pinpoint. Or it's the, just the facts guy. that are, are is that for just. You know. Yeah, it's just like the, and again, the sensationalized, like, like crazy people out of an institution, like murdering. It's not like that. But there are these pointed things and these specific details, like wearing a fucking bunny outfit. It's like, yeah, okay, that matches. I don't think it's like a lot of murders happening with a guy just, like, all the bunny suits at the Walgreens in Fairfax, Virginia would be gone, which I assume they're not. It would be like kind of like the Scream masks in the mm-hmm. movie Scream. You know, yeah. Kind of like that. Exactly. So this historian located two incidents of a man in a rabbit costume threatening people with an axe. The vandalism reports occurred a week apart in 1970 in Burke, Virginia. A week apart. Two guys in a bunny suit. (laughs) 
The first one was the evening of October 19th, 1970, by U.S. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancée, who were visiting relatives on Guinea Road in Burke. Around midnight while returning from a football game, they reportedly parked their car in a field on Guinea Road to visit an uncle who lived across the street from where the car was parked. Makes sense. As they sat in the front seat of the motor run- with the motor running, they noticed something moving outside the rear window. This is just like an- another like urban legend, but it's real. Moments later, the front passenger window was smashed, and there was a white-clad figure standing near the broken window. Bennett turned the car around while the man screamed at them about trespassing, including, you're on private property and I have your tag number. As they drove down the road, the couple discovered a hatchet on the car floor. So he had somehow, like, left the, fa- the hatchet there. When the police requested a description of the man, Bennett insisted he was wearing a white suit with long bunny ears. However, Bennett's fiance contested that their assailant did not have bunny ears in his head, but was wearing a white um, caparati, which, do you know what that is? It's like a tall, pointy mask hat. It's Spanish, um, but it looks like like a grand wizard. Type yeah, of thing. I think I'm familiar. Yeah. They both remembered seeing his face clearly, but in the darkness, they couldn't determine his race. The police returned the hatchet to Bennett after examination. Bennett was required to report the incident upon his return to the Air Force Academy. And they have this hatchet mounted, too, as like a prize for whatever had occurred there. I found a clip of this testimonial. There's some creepy details uploaded on YouTube by one Wes Clark on February 11th, 2005 of the Bennett testimony. So we're going to play it for you right now. Gave you a little taste. It was probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the evening. We had uh, uh, pulled in to a field maybe, oh, I don't know, 50 feet. There was a little, there was a little entrance uh, like a farmer's uh, road that, that pulled into the edge of this field. And uh, we had pulled in there, and uh, uh, the... Uh, car we you know the car was running uh, we were sitting there talking and uh i thought i saw a shadow or something like that move so i i locked the door and uh didn't hear anything and then that, and then all of a sudden the passenger's window just crashed you know i felt something hit my foot on the floor uh the bunny this guy uh was uh screaming in the window uh it won't do any good to run. You're trespassing. Uh, that that sort of stuff. I can't remember exactly what he said, but that was the gist of it. And uh, so I just uh, car was already on. I just dropped it in reverse and uh, hit the accelerator, spun around. Uh, he remained in the window. I mean, he was running alongside, yelling. And then uh, finally, just you know, we turned around, headed out, and gunned it and went away. How about that? That was, uh, okay. Okay. You're gathering more info. Yeah. I'm, I'm, more info is happening. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not super skeptical on this one. There's a lot of, some things are probably for debate, but I feel like some things are pretty, seem pretty. So we're going to leave you to uh, feast on that for a little bit. Um, Hop, hop, hop around that. And we're going to break. No, you didn't like that? That was the best you can do. Okay. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. 
CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell Technologies solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash Dell Tech. <laughs> right. We're back. Yeah. We're back from break. We're back We're from break. We did it. Uh, we are featured on Podcast Republic's site right there, mm-hmm. Ghost Town, Podcast right Republic there. dot net, mm-hmm. Podcast Republic dot net. Yeah. Check it out. I want to thank them for that. That was great. I was on an episode of My Neighbors Are Dead. I did an episode about the movie First Blood. So check that out. <laughs> My yeah? Neighbors Are Dead. Do you have strong opinions about First Blood? Yeah. I mean, I just went and saw the most recent Rambo movie. Oh. Not very good. Ooh, Sorry. Yeah. Yes, gotta, I got to say, yes. for the most part, not very good. Yeah. What are we going to do, you know? You know what is very good? What? Patreon.com slash Ghost Town Pod. <laughs> oh, I walked right into that. Yeah. Two That's bonus great. episodes a month. There's got to be 20 something on there right now. Yeah. 20 Some, at most. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> two at least. <laughs> But 20-something at most. Yeah, absolutely. It's $2 a month. It helps us, keeps things moving along. It keeps us going. It keeps, keeps us going. Us, it feeds the fire. The pins are still on it there, I guess, and people are still... smoldering fire. Yeah. The embers. If you need a ghost town uh, enamel pin, that's you on there, too. You need one, and you do need, need one. It, yeah. You don't Get just it. want one. You need it. Yeah, to, you need it. You crave it. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, ghost town pin. Yeah. You do that. It's right next to what your other podcast pins. Yeah. Put them there. <laughs> I don't care if you do other podcast bits. And yeah, go ahead and do care. it. Do we don't care. We're open. Those other, Listen, those other chill. podcasts, chill. they're like, chill. oh, no, no other. Only you should us. have no other pins yeah, no, but we're me. Like, we're like, no, whatever. Do whatever you want. Baby, You're a free spirit. We love you. You do you. Yeah. And you we're, lean into it. We're very fluid when it comes to pin <laughs> wearing. It's just like, whatever, baby. As long as we're in the mix. We like just, just do it up. Yeah. And we're on a Halloween Trajectory. We're on a you Halloween know, tear, I yeah, would say. We're tearing it up, and this is our time of the month. As of right now, we are going to have a sp- sp- couple of special Halloween episodes. Yeah, some species. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Although we had some listeners say they like the word bonies. Yeah. How about that? Episode, so you know, sometimes I think that, like, I say something, and Jason's like, "Oh dear, this yeah. is going to be the end of this podcast." Yeah. And I'm like, "No, hey, two people liked it." We've gotten a lot of really great feedback lately. A lot of new listeners. Not everyone's Absolutely. digging it. No, some, some people, people are. Some people are. But aren't. also, I love that some people are coming to us and being like, "I feel like this is wrong. This is what I want you to change. You're bad. You're garbage." And I'm like, you know what? Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank, let me know. Yeah. Will you just let me know? No, we take the feedback. We appreciate mm-hmm. it, and we're thankful. And if if you have a moment and you want to go rate us anywhere, but you know, go to Apple Podcast, mm-hmm. give us a rate and review. It, it helps us because people see that. It is, it's not going to do anything for us like monetarily, but you know, people see that and it helps. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, this is a show. I want to at least give it a shot. So yeah. we, we appreciate it if you, especially in the season. This is yeah. the, the season for our for Ghost Town. Yeah, our so podcast thrive truly thrives. The only podcast out there that does anything like this at we're all. True we're only groundbreakers. Yeah, we're the only. Don't one. you want to support? Do you want to be on the right side of history? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you do you want to be the wrong? Not on this one. Not on this one. The other one, sure. Not on this one. <laughs> Oh dear. So my body yeah. rejected that idea. My yeah. body was just like, cough it out. Um, all right. Do you want to get back to some bunny man history or what? Yeah, it's very vivid in my mind right yeah. now. This this Are you just thinking terrifying. about Donnie Darko. We, just here's something interesting. Jake is, Gyllenhaal. Have, have you ever seen <coughs> there's uh, like blogs will post terrifying photos of the Easter bunny and kids mm-hmm. taking pictures with the Easter bunny, like over the you know, mm-hmm. the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. I have seen and those. it's 
I would say nine times out of ten, terrifying. So I think like clowns, uh-huh. bunnies are inherently <coughs> scary. Like a lot of oversized parts, your big teeth, big ears, yeah. your big eyes. It's unnatural. It's not. Bunnies uh, should be small, if anything. Yeah. Rabbits themselves are not even evolved. Like they like shit out things and they eat them again to get the nutrients. They're not even evolved enough to get nutrients the first time around. You know what bunnies scare me the most? What? Playboy bunnies. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. you're scared. You're scared? Yeah. yeah, I'm scared. Well, I'm, I'm afraid out. they're going to fall in love with me and I don't, I'm not in a yeah. position to do that. <laughs> also like a Playboy bunny. Uh-huh. Like all the Playboy bunnies are like, how old now? My yeah, age. <laughs> oh, this is getting darker by the minute. Yeah. But I was going to say too, my favorite Halloween thing, and I feel like I should make like a little playlist or something, is scare videos. Like videos where like oh, yeah. people like pop out and surprise you. Mm. I love that. I love a good ghost sighting video. I love um, security camera footage. Mm. Oh, I could watch security camera footage all day. Anyway, mm. tis the season. Tis the season for more... Bunny Man Encounters, like this other one, the second one that the historian documented. So that occurred on the evening of October 29th, 1970, close to Halloween, when the construction security guard Paul Phillips approached a man standing on the porch of an unfinished home in a Kings Park West uh, area on Guinea Road. Phillips said the man was wearing a gray, black, and white bunny costume. It was about 20 years old, 5 feet 8 inches tall, about 175 pounds. He was chopping at a porch post with a long-handled axe saying, you are trespassing. If you come any closer, I'll chop off your head. So it's interesting, too, that these two instances that he found are also about trespassing. So it's like, get off of the bunny man's turf and you'll be fine. Don't, don't come to the overpass. Don't come to the side of Virginia. Just stay in your place. So the Fairfax County Police opened inves- investigations into both incident- incidents, but both were eventually closed for lack of evidence. In the weeks following the incidents, more than 50 people contacted the police claiming to have seen the bunny man as it happens. You know, you get a couple couple things in the press. You get a lot of callers coming into town, ta- you know, like people who are like, I want to be involved in this. That's pretty typical. Several newspapers, including the Washington Post, reported that the bunny man had eaten a man's runaway cat. The Post articles mentioned in the incident, uh, some headlines were man in bunny costume sought in Fairfax. The rabbit reappears. Bunny Man scene, very simple, and Bunny Man reports are multiplying. These are all from October to November in 1970. It was Bunny Man frenzy. It was like the Zodiac Killer, but with... Uh, less bunny. cryptography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Less cryptography, less in like a hot San Francisco summer. I think cold Fairfax autumn plus bunnies. In 1973, Patricia Johnson, a student at the University of Maryland College Park, submitted a research paper that chronicled precisely 54 variations of the two incidents. So we're getting all of this information too. But back to Brian Connolly, who says, the aspect of the story which gets the most attention are the alleged murders. Researching historical crimes can be very difficult unless you have some basic facts to begin with. Since police records are not available for casual review and court records are indexed by the names of those involved, not by the location or type of crime, I had to begin by checking the local papers. The tool that had proved the most valuable was the Fairfax County Public Library Historical Newspaper Index, as you would. That feels very like, like Encyclopedia Brown style. Anyway, um, so there's a complete index at the Fairfax County Newspaper in this library. Careful work of these two combined with searching capabilities of a database allows us to extract every murder and killing reported by the local press from 1872 through 1973, just in under the wire. 
Even though Fairfax County was a rural farming community until well into the 20th century, there were over 550 individual mentions of the killings in the study period. Eliminating run-of-the-mill domestic murders and concentrating on multiple murders and those involving children, both of which were mercifully rare, served to pare down a list of more than 500 possible events being funny man murder to the following three. Number one, Francis and June Holabur, February 1949. It would be hard to imagine a more disturbing event for a growing community like Fairfax than the gruesome murders of 37-year-old Francis Holabur and her eight-month-old daughter, June. On Thursday, February 24th, 1949, Mrs. Holaber and her daughter drove to Fairfax County in the company of her estranged husband, Charles. All were residents of the District of Columbia. Charles Holaber later told police that they had come to see the new lodge at a nudist colony to which Mr. Holaber belonged. Strange family dynamic. I don't want to judge. I don't know. Okay, I'll just continue. Upon leaving the lodge, the car became mired in some mud. The couple quarreled and Mrs. Holaber took the child and walked away from her husband and never returned. Charles spent the night in the car and got a ride back to Washington the next day. He returned with his brother-in-law and a friend to retrieve the car. Still finding no evidence of his family, the police were finally notified. An intensive search of the area was organized involving Fairfax County Police, Washington detectives, and Boy Scouts. Get the Boy Scouts involved. <laughs> no, Bring out no the big resource, guns. <laughs> no resource. Um, we'll say no to. At about 5 p.m., just as the searchers were about to give up for the night, one of the detectives noted that on the ground which they were standing was very soft. Oh, boy. Both mother and daughter were found in a shallow grave next to the lodge and less than 200 yards from where Charles, Charles Holaber's car had been stuck. Francis had been beaten and then shot once in the head and then once in the heart. The baby girl had been buried alive. Oof. The local community was shocked and horrified by the cold, brutal character of the crime, especially with the investigation identified Charles as the prime suspect. Uh, Holabur later confessed to the investigators that he had planned the murder for three weeks and had not intended to report the disappearance of his wife, but changed his plan when the car got caught in the mud. The case came to trial on January 16, 1950. After hearing four days of testimony, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, and Holabur was sentenced to die in the electric chair. His attorney filed an appeal alleging that the jury failed to give proper consideration to the plea of insanity and that the court made errors in its instruction to the jury. The Supreme Court of Virginia appeals eventually overturned the conviction and ordered a new trial. Charles Francis Holabur was recommitted to the Western State Mental Hospital in Marion, Virginia, where he was judged to be insane. It is interesting to know that he was the first time since the Ridgeway murder trial of 1927 in which a Fairfax County jury invoked the death penalty. They only do it when they think it is absolutely necessary. Interesting. So that's one that could fit into this timeline of the bunny man. Number two, Minnie Loretta and Catherine Ridgway, March 1927, right? We're getting back. We're going back. The availability of newspaper records um, made a lot of murders more, um, just more digestible, um, more known to the people, but few shocked Fairfax like the ferocious and senseless attack on Mrs. Minnie Ridgway and her two young daughters. Mrs. Ridgway lived with her husband and three children on Telegraph Road in Alexandria. Sometime on the morning of March 4th, 1927, a man later identified as Louis Borsig called at the home on the pretext of seeing Mr. Ridgway. Upon finding that he was not at home, Borsig attacked and beat Minnie Ridgway into unconsciousness and then likewise bludgeoned her daughters, Loretta 7 and Catherine 5. He then stole some money and got out of town. The crime was discovered by a neighbor who heard moans coming from inside the house. All three victims were taken to Alexandria Hospital, where Loretta later died. Catherine Ridgway lived another eight days before succumbing to her injuries. 
Many recovered and was able to identify the assailant who was known to the Ridgeways. Borsig was arrested at his home and transferred to the jail in Winchester for his safety. He was executed for the murders of Loretta and Catherine on July 7th, 1927, just three months after his horrific crime. So another crime that might fall into the possibility of the Bunny Man murder, or the Bunny Man legend. Eva Roy, August 1918, we're going back in time. We're heading back for one more murder, baby, one more ride. Peter Roy was a Danish, Danish immigrant who had come to Fairfax from Minnesota in 1912. In November of that year, he purchased two parcels of land near the current intersection of Old Keen Mill Road and Sidenstricker Road. Um, Roy, a widower, became a prosperous farmer and an active member of the Lee Chapel Methodist Church. With him resided his eldest daughter, Caroline, her husband, William, and his younger daughter, Eva. On the morning of August 4th, 1918, Eva Roy, age 14, left her home near Burke at around 9 a.m. to tend to her father's small herd of cows. When Eva failed to return home that evening, her father began a search. Neighbors were soon enlisted to help, but it was some 24 hours later that her body was found tied to a tree in the woods near the old Hans house, her apron spring- strings tight around her throat. The county coroner concluded that the girl had been brutally assaulted before being strangled to death. A coroner's jury was appointed and quickly concluded, we, the jury, find that Eva Roy came to her death at the hands of some unknown person, and the indications point to Lou Hall as the probable perpetrator of the crime. Hall, a 33-year-old woodcutter, which was a job at that time, lived about a half a mile from the scene of the crime and was seen in the woods near the time of the girl's disappearance. The case was not to be easily solved because other suspects were soon identified and eliminated and identified and eliminated. The first, William Wooster, age 16, was soon arrested for assaulting a colored girl. He had recently been released from an insane asylum but was found that he was nowhere near the scene of Eva's murder. The next suspect to emerge was a soldier who deserted uh, camp. The soldier, a sergeant whose papers failed to name him, was located some days later in Charlottesville, Virginia. He had scratches on his face and hands, was wearing freshly laundered clothes, and claimed to have no memory of the events between his leaving camp and his capture. Um, They tried to interview this man, but after some weeks of investigation, determined that he was not connected to the crime whatsoever. The lagging investigation seemed to finally receive a break um, was the apprehension of Ben Rubin, an escaped inmate from Lorton Prison. Rubin, who had been serving a three-year sentence for housebreaking, which again, I think is just breaking into a house, was arrested by Washington, D.C. police on September 19th for assaulting a little girl. While on the way to the police station, he confessed to Eva's murder. Rubin claimed he met Eva Roy looking after her father's cows. He asked her for food, and in a conversation with her, he told her he was an ex-convict, something you'd bring up just in casual conversation in the woods. She declared that she would turn him up as he declared, and he became excited and choked her. The Washington authorities were unconvinced by Reuben's story and and tried him for assault and theft before returning him over to the Virginia courts. An investigator sent by the Commonwealth of Virginia to interview him concluded that he was not responsible for the crime, but, uh, but they filed papers anyway. On September 26th, Reuben was escorted to the scene of the crime by the sheriff. And after being unable to locate the scene of the attack or the tree where the body was left, Reuben denied killing her. Hmm? He claimed the presence of the girl's father spurred him to recant his confession. Reuben's motive for confessing was revealed some weeks later when October 6th, he escaped from jail in Fairfax. He was arrested two days later when attempting to buy a pistol and admitted that he had concocted his story in order to be transferred to Fairfax, where he thought an escape from the jail might be easier. He was eventually convicted of burglary and escaped from the jail and was sentenced to four more years in prison. So Lou Hall was finally tried for murder in Fairfax County Court. The prosecution was handled by the state attorney and the defense provided. His first trial resulted in a hung jury with nine votes for guilty, three for innocent. 
His second trial resulted in a clear verdict of not guilty. Oof. Peter Roy died on January 22nd, 1938, and was interred in Lee Chapel Cemetery next to his youngest daughter. Her murderer was never found. After scrutinizing the three preceding events, um, it's hard because these are the things that are the most likely candidates for the money man. Charles Holabur was caught and incarcerated. Louis Borsig was caught and executed uh, for the murder of Eva Roy, even though many elements like were there and were not there. Um, the last one is based on an important factor that emerged through lots of this guy's research. Um, the bunny man has evolved a lot over time. The recent rash of people researching the origins of the story had been largely attracted by the spectacular nature of the crime. Um, the previously cited Forbes version of the story features 32 victims and had a pronounced supernatural element. Again, there's a lot of people who come out, a lot of, uh, different airings or retellings of the story and make it very attractive, especially around Halloween time, but it's hard to say. So those three murders are really the ones that fit according to this guy's research, Brian H. Conley, but we don't know. We don't know exactly where it came from. We don't know what's real and what's not real. We know that there is an element of it that is real and very much entrenched in Virginia history, but the rest who's to say. So I want to thank again, historian archivist, Brian H. Conley, which a lot of this stuff came from, uh, Patricia Johnson and the myriad of people who came forward and talked about the Muddy Man, which we uh, had a clip of earlier. It's interesting that we have this will now be our second movie reference in a row, especially mm-hmm. in the Halloween theme. First, we had Halloween three season of the witch, yeah, and now Donnie Darko, yeah. So, if you're looking for ideas, you know, I don't know if we can work more movies into every single one of them, but we can, we will. We'll try. We love media integration we love interconnectedness yeah you know which we one love. is really it's a perfect i mean it's a very classic perfect mm. halloween movie la la land oh because there's a part where um white people don't get what they want immediately Uh-oh. And it's very terrifying did you know that there was an outbreak of the black plague in the 1920s near downtown la's union station did you know that the namesake of griffith observatory was involved in a wagon era drive-by shooting and tried to kill his wife for conspiring against him with the pope did you know that there was a podcast to tell you all this about los angeles history and more that's okay because neither did anyone else la meekly is a monthly podcast hosted by local comedians greg gonzalez and daniel zaffron as they dig deep into the shocking stories you didn't even know the city had listen to la meekly anywhere podcasts are found